Welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast. This is Madeline Messer, and today I'm speaking with Elizabeth Coulter and Laura Walsh about the history of the collections care team, of which they are the curator of collections and curator of collections management. Could you both explain what those positions are? Sure. Thanks for having us today. I am the curator of collections, and I oversee the research, interpretation, and engagement Thank you for having us today. I am Laura and I'm the collections manager, registrar and database manager for the state. So could you explain how the state museum system got its start? Yeah, so the state of Delaware has been preserving Delaware history for a very long time. On uh, January 10th in 1800, the Delaware legislature passed a resolution to commission a portrait of George Washington to hang in the Senate chamber. And when it was delivered in 1802, it became the first object in Delaware's collection. And so over the years, the state has been charged with the stewardship and interpretation of state-owned historic buildings and archeological art and object collections. And it's kind of a layered history over the course of the 20th and 21st centuries. So in 1911, the Public Archives Commission um, started, and by 1951, its role had expanded to acquiring, repairing, and restoring any historic building sites or objects of significance uh, for the purpose of making them accessible to the public. And then um, in 1934, state law acknowledged that artifacts found on state-owned sites were worthy of permanent preservation. And so in 1951, the University of Delaware and the Delaware State Museum became two main repositories for all these artifacts. Um, Then in um, 1953, the Delaware Archaeological Board was created to sponsor, encourage, engage, and direct fundamental research and investigation to the state's archaeology. And we have the John Dickinson Mansion, Fort Christina Monument, the Old State House, the Eldridge Reeves Johnson Memorial, and Buena Vista that were added by 1965. And finally, in 1999, um, the Delaware Public Archives and the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs became separate entities and distinct divisions within the Department of the State. There's a lot more in between all of that, but that's kind of the abbreviated-ish timeline. (laughs) with the history of the state museum system. What makes Delaware's collections unique? The holdings of the state are broadly organized into two categories. We have the historical collection and the archeology span collection. The historical collection includes material culture, ephemera, photography, military objects, furniture, rare books, clothing, and objects related to the Victor Talking Machine Company. We also manage an extensive collection of several Delaware artists, including Charles Parks, Jack Lewis, and Howard Schroeder. The historical collection includes the State Portrait Collection, Research Library, Architectural Fragments Collection, and the Education and Outreach Collection. The archaeology collection includes artifacts that document the prehistory, history, and material culture of the people of Delaware recovered in an archaeological context. We serve as the state's repository for section 106 and 110 archeological collections. Um, The archeology span collection also includes the archeological diagnostic and research collection, which can be utilized by students and professionals for research. 
So how do objects like these make their way into a state collection? Right now, the objects make their way into the collection on a donation basis. We currently accept donations to collections that support the mission and vision of the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs. So our mission is to serve Delaware residents and visitors by identifying, preserving, and interpreting Delaware history. And we do this in public trust for current and future generations. And then our vision is really to actively engage our audience in learning and understanding how Delaware history is meaningful to our lives today and in the future. So before we um, accession an object for our collection, it undergoes a pretty rigorous review process. Um, we can't accept all objects because not everything is necessarily appropriate for our collections, and we always have to keep our mission and vision in mind. So when we assess a potential donation, we look for authentic objects, um, ephemera books and artworks that hold strong Delaware history or ties to the Johnson Victrola Company. And we want these objects to support meaningful exhibitions, research, and programs. And right now, we're really focusing on objects that fill collections gaps within our current holdings. So on top of all of that, we also have to think about their condition, the resources for care for potential acquisition, and the provenance in the acquisition process. So each object that meets all of this criteria is then presented to an internal and external collections committee that will also review to make sure that all of that criteria is met. And then um, by a sim simple ma majority vote, these committees decide if the object becomes accessioned or not. So that's roughly the, the whole process of how objects come into the collection. Can you give an example of like an object that you would accept versus something that wouldn't be appropriate for the collections? Yeah, so um, we really look for objects that have a strong Delaware narrative. So something that is relevant, tells a story that really connects to um, people's lives in a, that particular historic moment. So. A wonderful example of something that we recently acquisitioned was a sign made by a woman in um, southern Delaware for uh, the removal of a whipping post. And I think we'll discuss that in more detail in a future podcast. So keep your ears out for that one. Um, it has such historic relevance to this moment in 2020 and 2021, and has a really personal story tied to it. Uh, an example of an object that was recently suggested to us was um, like 19th century clothing from a woman who lived in Pennsylvania. And there wasn't a lot of personal history tied to her. And obviously it wasn't any kind of history tied to the state of Delaware. So we respectfully said no and suggested other collections that would probably benefit more from that history of that object in Pennsylvania. 
on top of all of these other criteria, another thing that we're looking for for potential donations is something that can be used um, both in at our sites, in programming, and also digitally. We have several digital platforms as well. What sort of artifact would be on a digital collection? At the beginning of the pandemic, we began um, something that morphed into what is now called the Digital History Museum for our division. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we were trying to keep up with trends that museums were doing because the museums were closed. And so their major educational pushes were also unavailable to the people that they serve. So many museums did a bunch of different things on Instagram, on Facebook, and on their websites, including making programming that was digital, but also um, activities that people could download for their children or they could do themselves. Um, for instance, we jumped on the bandwagon for um, a trend where they would take, they would digitally reproduce an object that they had and then use a program to make it into a digital puzzle. So that's something that both children and adults can find fun. And in fact, there are many programs right now that can help you make a puzzle at different age levels. Another thing that we worked with, with our education department was to create document-based questions based on objects. And one of the things that we did to include ourselves in that trend and continue to um, provide educational opportunities for um, the people of Delaware is uh, what eventually became known as the Digital History Museum. And uh, one of the activities that we did was create document-based questions based on objects in the collection. And there are several on the website. Uh, one of my favorite things that we did for the document-based questions was a poster that talks about the meat black market that developed during World War II. And um, we look, we researched that object and then decided which age group we wanted to um, target this document-based question to and then created questions based on that. So it was our hope that educators and potentially parents would use that to continue to stimulate their children's minds during the pandemic. So apart from your digital collections, where are the actual artifacts stored? Collections objects are on view at our historical sites, which Elizabeth mentioned. It's Buena Vista Conference Center, the Newcastle Courthouse Museum, John Dickinson Plantation, the Johnson Victrola Museum, and Zwanendale primarily. We also loan collections objects to partnering institutions like historical societies and museums. And the collections that are not on view are stored in a climate-controlled all-site storage facility. So what are some of your most notable or favorite collections? As the collections manager, I can't have bias. It's my priority to give the best care to each object. It's like asking a parent who their favorite child is. But Laura and I were thinking about some of our most recent projects and one object that we were excited about and that we posted about on our Instagram at Delaware History was a portrait of um, Anne Van Dyke Johns, a Newcastle, Delaware resident member of a family deeply embedded in Delaware po politics in the 19th century. 
Um, but it was by the artist Sarah Miriam Peel, who had really established herself as a prominent artist um, in the 19th century. And she was a member of the very prestigious artistic Peel family. And her and her sister were actually the first women accepted into the respected Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philly in, um, I think it was 1824. And after that period, she had held a very successful career in um, rendering portraiture, um, I think landscape paintings as well. So it was interesting to study an early successful female artist in the States. Is that, is her work on display anywhere now? Uh, that work is currently in collection storage, but as I mentioned, you can see um, a high-res image of it on our Instagram page. Maybe sometime soon we'll exhibit it. How does the care team work with museums and other public institutions? The care team supports the educational initiatives of our sites through exhibits and programming. And we also partner with our with other institutions in the state of Delaware and neighboring regions. And we offer research opportunities to the immediate and far reaching community. What do you have on exhibit right now? So you can see our collection on exhibit at our historic sites. So we have the John Dickinson Plantation, Johnson Victrola Museum, and the old State House in Dover. And then we have the Newcastle Courthouse Museum in Newcastle and the Zwanendale Museum in Lewis. Um, so at the John Dickinson Plantation, you'll see our holdings of mostly 18th century decorative arts, including furniture and other household wares that really um, work to support the history of the lives of people who lived there. And so there we tell the stories of the tenant farmers, indentured servants, free and enslaved black men, women, and children who lived, worked, and died on the plantation. And then at the Johnson Victrola Museum, you'll find our holdings of mostly 20th century Victrolas and material culture that highlight the life and achievements of Eldridge Reeve Johnson who's the founder of Victor Talking Machine Company and a major pioneer in the development of the sound recording industry. And then at the old state house, which was built in 1791 and served Delaware's capital during the United States critical early years as a nation, we have a selection of 18th century decorative arts and material culture. At the Newcastle Courthouse, which served Delaware's first court and state capital. We have mostly 18th century material culture and decorative arts, some archeological objects and um, a display on land surveying, surveying, sorry, and a display on the late Delaware sculptor, Charles Parks works. And then at the Zwanendale Museum, which was built in commemoration of Delaware's first European colony. It showcases Lewis area's maritime, military, and social history. And so it currently has a selection of displays, including Delaware Railroad, which explores the travel and transport of the railroad system, and uh, Seaborne Citizenry, which includes mar maritime artifacts. And then as Laura mentioned earlier, um, beyond just the physical locations and experiencing our 
exhibits and collections in person, we have our digital history museum offerings on our website. And then we have our Instagram where you can see our collections regularly. Just one more question for you. In talking with the other museums, you, they've mentioned a rotation of the collections that are on display. How do you decide which collections to rotate and how long they should be uh, on display for? It's very much a collaborative effort with our sites teams. Uh, we try to think about uh, exhibits and collections, objects that support the overall interpretation at each of the sites. Um, so we rotate them periodically to one, change, change it up for our audiences to keep it interesting and um, keep the engagement also interesting for the people who work at the sites. Um, but we also change the collections periodically because we always have to keep the object safety and their life, long-term life, um, in mind. So I don't know if Laura wants to jump in and talk about collections care because that's really her um, wheelhouse. There's always a balance between access and preservation. And in these types of interactions, that's the most direct way that we balance those two needs of the collection and the needs of the sites. Many collections are highly susceptible to damage if they are in an environment in which relative humidity and temperature fluctuate. And it's far harder to manage those at a site generally than at our offsite facility. Objects are also subject more likely there at sites to other agents of deterioration like light. If you've ever seen um, a piece of wooden furniture that sits next to a windowsill for too long, you'll see that it starts to fade. Sometimes there's also a concern for people touching objects, hopefully not that often, but that can lead to other types of agents of deterioration. Don't unless, touch anything. <laughs> unless the site has like an education object that yes. they can Awesome. Thank you both so much for taking the time today. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye.